Welcome to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons, a podcast which examines tenets of the Christian faith in a systematic way. Dr. Ammons serves as a local church pastor and professor of theology in the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels, bringing years of experience into the theological arena. Now, here's Dr. Ammons. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, If Christ is not risen from the dead, then we are of all people most miserable. What did Paul mean? Hi, this is Dr. Greg Ammons, and welcome to Truth 101, where we look at the Christian faith in a systematic way. And we're now into the 500 series entitled The Resurrected Christ. The last episode and this episode, we're talking on the specific details of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the Gospels contain abundant testimony to the resurrection of Christ. And in addition to these detailed narratives in the four Gospels, the book of Acts also is a story of the apostles proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive and of continued prayer to Christ, as if He's alive, and trusting in Him as the one who is alive and reigning in heaven. If you go a little farther into the New Testament, the epistles depend entirely upon the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior who is now the exalted head of the church. And He is the one to be trusted and worshipped and adored and one day will return in power and great glory as King over the earth. That is very clear all throughout the epistles. And then at the end of the New Testament, you see the book of Revelation, and it repeatedly shows that the risen Christ is reigning in heaven, and it predicts His return to conquer His enemies and reign in glory. So if you look at the Gospels, the the book of Acts, the epistles, the book of Revelation, the entire New Testament bears witness to the fact Jesus Christ is alive and that the resurrection did indeed happen. You know, I believe it's appropriate also to believe in the resurrection of Christ based on the teachings of the New Testament alone. You, You can take nothing but the New Testament testimony and still have all the assurance that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. But you know, there are also there are other documents, I guess you might say, arguments that skeptics have made in examining the evidence for themselves. They tried to disprove the resurrection, and they ended up proving the resurrection to be true, believing in it, and then going on to become great theologians and great scholars. So William Ramsey was, was one of those. Uh, Frank Morrison wrote a book entitled Who Moved the Stone, summarizing widely the arguments that he, he was a skeptic. He was trained as a lawyer. And he wanted to disprove the resurrection and could not do it, ended up becoming a believer and a great theologian. That's Frank Morrison entitled the book entitled Who Moved the Stone. Uh, there's another one, J.N.D. Anderson. It's rather dated, but J.N.D. Anderson, entitled The Evidence for the Resurrection, he too was trained as a lawyer and uh, saw the evidence to be compelling for the resurrection and ended up believing in Christ and becoming 
a New Testament scholar. More recently, William Lane Craig has a book entitled The Sun Rises, S-O-N, The Sun Rises, The Historical Evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, recent work, but there are all kind of documents out there of people who tried to disprove the resurrection, looked at the evidence in an empirical way and decided and, and concluded the, the resurrection did indeed happen. Jesus is alive, and because of that, they gave their lives uh, to him. Now let's talk a little bit about the nature of Jesus' resurrection, and I guess you could entitle this a physical body made perfect. So let's talk a little bit about the resurrection of Christ from a, from a physical standpoint. Jesus' resurrection was not simply a coming back from the dead as had been experienced by others. For example, Lazarus or Jairus' daughter. Uh, if that's the case, then Jesus would have been subject to weakness and aging, and eventually he would have died again, just as all the other human beings did who were raised from the dead. For example, Lazarus himself is uh, raised, uh, he, he was subject to weakness and aging and eventually died again. Jesus did not. So whenever Jesus rose from the dead, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he was, quote, the first fruits of a new kind of human life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and 23. So, whenever Jesus resurrected, his body was different. It wasn't just, the, it wasn't just a resuscitation where the exact same body was given life again. He resurrected with a new body, a new kind of life. A life in which his body was made perfect no longer subject to weakness or subject to aging or no longer subject to death. But it's a body that would be able to live eternally. Now, what's interesting I find about this body of Jesus uh, we see depicted on, on the road to Emmaus. You remember the story, the very same day that Jesus rose from, from the dead on Easter, he joined two people walking out to Emmaus, a small community about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 32 records it. And it's interesting because two of Jesus' disciples, followers of his, we know one was named Cloapus, we don't know the other one's name, but they did not recognize him when they walked on the road with him. But Luke specifically tells us that this was because, quote, their eyes were kept from recognizing him in, in verse 16. And later on it says, their eyes were opened and they did recognize him in verse uh, 31 of Luke chapter 24. If you think about Mary Magdalene, she failed to recognize Jesus for a moment at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. This is John 20 verses 14 to 16. But it may have been still quite dark and she was not looking for him. She was not expecting a resurrection. And she turned to speak to Jesus once she did recognize him in verse 16. So he, they did not recognize him at first, but they recognized him later. 
both the disciples on the road to Emmaus and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus' resurrected body evidently looked recognizable, but not recognizable. It looked like Jesus, but it, it did not quite look like Jesus. On another occasion in the, in the Gospels, the disciples seemed to have recognized Jesus fairly quickly after, after the resurrection. Matthew 28, verse 9 and verse 17. Whenever Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples in Jerusalem, uh, they were initially startled and frightened, according to Luke 24, 33. Yet when they saw Jesus' hands and his feet and watched him eat a piece of broiled fish, they were convinced that he had risen from the dead, that he was no phantom, that he was no ghost, that he really was a real person with a real body. So these examples indicate that there was a considerable degree of continuity between the physical appearance of Jesus before his death and after his resurrection both. He looked like himself, but at times they didn't recognize him. I believe that gives us some clues into what our, our glorified body will be like in heaven. We will be recognizable as who we are. We will be different. We will be perfect. But yet we will be recognizable for, for who we are and as we are. Now, if you go a little different, maybe go a little further, perhaps the the difference in appearance we're talking about was simply the difference between a man who'd lived a life of suffering, hardship, and grief and one whose body was restored to its full youthful appearance of perfect health. Maybe so. Jesus' body was still a physical body. It was raised as a transformed body, never able to suffer again or be weak again or ill or die again, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, it had put on immortality. The mortal had put on the immortal. And then Paul says in the same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, the resurrection body is raised imperishable, in glory, in power, as a spiritual body. Now, by the phrase spiritual body, Paul does not mean immaterial body, but rather it literally means in the Greek, quote, suited to and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, that, that kind of describes a little bit more about what Paul said Jesus' resurrected body was like. Now, the fact that Jesus had a physical body after the resurrection that could be touched that could be handled after the resurrection is seen in that the disciples took hold of his feet, we're told in Matthew 28, 9. That he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, he, he looked just like any other traveler going down the road. Uh, he, he took bread and he broke it with the, with the two at their home in Emmaus in Luke 24, 30. Uh, he, he ate a piece of broiled fish, as I mentioned demonstrating he had a physical body. He wasn't just a spirit. Mary thought him to be the gardener, but then he showed them his hands and his side. John 20, 20. 
And he invited Thomas, John 20, 27, to touch his hands and his side. Later on, John 21, we're seeing that Jesus, in his physical body, prepared breakfast by the Sea of Galilee early one morning for the disciples. And that he explicitly told them, quote, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. So he looked every bit, not like a phantom or a ghost. Jesus, after the resurrection, had a physical body. Peter said, Acts 10, 41, that the disciples, quote, ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So, it is true that Jesus apparently was able to appear and disappear quite suddenly out of rooms. We saw that. So, it was a glorified body that could move instantly. He went from Emmaus immediately, the seven miles, just in a moment, uh, to back to Jerusalem. So, he could travel quickly at a moment's notice. He could walk through walls. So he had a glorified body that is a spiritual body, but yet it was every bit as physical as yours and mine, which I think this is glorious as we think about our future bodies and our glorified bodies in heaven. Our bodies will be fashioned after that of Christ. Now let me mention one other aspect about the resurrection here concerning the Father and the Son, uh, both participating in the resurrection. It is interesting how the Bible describes the resurrection happened. Some texts affirm that God the Father specifically raised Jesus from the dead. Acts 2.24, Romans 6.4, Ephesians 1.20, Galatians 1.1. But it's interesting because other biblical passages speak of Jesus as the one who resurrected himself, as Jesus participating in his own resurrection. For example, Jesus said, quote, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And listen, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. That's John chapter 20, uh, rather, verse, uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. So, did God raise Jesus from the dead, or did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Now, we know God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're not three beings. They're one being. All three are one into a, put together into a triunity, or, or rather not put together, but come together in a triunity or a trinity. So was it God the Father, or was it Jesus the Son who raised him from the dead? And I think it's best to conclude that both the Father and the Son were involved in the resurrection. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I think it's most appropriate that both the Father and the Son participated in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want to share one more aspect of, of the resurrection before we close this uh, segment, uh, this episode of, 
of our podcast. And I want us to think about Christ seated at the right hand of Jesus now. We'll talk later about the ascension, the details of that in, in a podcast coming up soon. But I want us to think about Christ seated at God's right hand. One specific aspect of going into heaven and receiving the honor that he received in heaven was the fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. This is sometimes called his session, S-E-S-S-O-N in theological terms. His session at God's right hand. The word session formerly meant the act of sitting down. It no longer has that meaning in ordinary English today, but it, but it did then. So Jesus being seated at God's right hand was his session. Now the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would sit at the right hand of God. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So whenever Jesus ascended back into heaven, he received the fulfillment of that promise of Psalm 110 verse 1. And then Hebrews 1.3 says, quote, after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this welcoming in the presence of God and sitting at God's right hand is a dramatic indication of the completion of Christ's work of redemption. Whenever a priest would finish offering a sacrifice in the Old Testament, he would sit down, he would be seated. So, just as other human beings would sit down at the completion of a large task, enjoying the satisfaction of having accomplished it, so Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, visibly demonstrating his work of redemption was complete. What a beautiful picture. Now, in addition to showing the completion of Christ's work of redemption, I believe also the act of sitting at God's right hand is an indication that he received the authority over the entire universe. Paul said that God, quote, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, end quote. That's Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. In a similar way, Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 22, quote, Jesus has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So, Paul and Peter both alluded to the fact that Psalm 110 verse 1 has been fulfilled in Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father and all of his enemies being placed under his feet, under his reign. Now one other additional aspect of the authority that Christ received from the Father when he sat at the right hand was the authority to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 33, he said, quote, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, end quote. That's straight from the lips of Peter at Pentecost. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he has the authority to pour out the Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God in heaven does not mean that he is perpetually fixed there or that he's inactive. He's also seen standing at his right hand in Acts 7.56 and he's, he's viewed as walking among the seven golden lampstands in heaven in Revelation 2 verse 1. So just because he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it tells us that in the scripture. It does not mean that he stays there, that he's inactive, that he's fixed to that point. He's moving all over heaven. It just shows the authority is at the right hand. And all through the New Testament, authority is given by a signifying of, of, of the right hand. So that just shows that Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, in his session, has the authority and the power of God in heaven. So, as we look at it, Jesus, as a human king, sits on his royal throne at his accession to the kingship, but he engages in a lot of other activities throughout each day. So Christ sat at the right hand of God as a dramatic evidence of the completion of, re of his redemptive work and his reception of authority over the universe. But of course, he is certainly engaged in other activities as well. Well, it makes you, it makes you anxious for heaven, doesn't it? Reigning with Christ, seeing him as he is, seeing him face to face, being made like him, and also having the same glorified body Jesus had after the resurrection. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode talking about the resurrected Christ. Join us for our next episode coming soon as we talk more about the resurrected Christ and what it means for us to live this side of the resurrection as well. God bless you. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Truth 101 with Dr. Greg Ammons. We hope you have enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on recent sermons by Dr. Ammons, go to www.fbcgarland.org and join us next time for Truth 101.